Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast. You're listening to Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess and this is all about helping you to get simple and sustainable strategies to help you live your happiest, healthiest and most peaceful life. Choosing not to drink can be daunting. It's everywhere in our culture, our socializing and our de-stressing. And it can seem so black and white. You drink or you don't drink. And if you don't, people ask you why. In today's podcast, I talk to Amanda White, who's a licensed therapist and founder of Therapy for Women Center. And we're going to be talking about her new book, Not Drinking Tonight. Amanda helps you unpack your relationship with alcohol in a judgment-free and relatable way. And she shows you how to find out why you drink, heal your relationship with alcohol, and build the sober life you love. Just before we begin, this is not medical advice. If you need, this is for educational purposes. If you need medical advice, please contact the appropriate medical professional. And now, on to today's podcast. Looking for a scientifically tested and strategic way to improve your mental health? Then it's time for you to download my new app, NeuroCycle, the world's first and only mind-brain detox app. NeuroCycle is a step-by-step program you do over 63 days to identify and unwire toxic thinking habits, trauma, and limiting beliefs. The app doesn't just help you remove the bad stuff, but also helps rebuild healthy new neural networks into your brain. NeuroCycle also includes many guides for in-the-moment situations, like a guide to help you work through panic attacks, and a guide for parents to use with kids. Struggling with sleep? NeuroCycle has a guide to help you fall asleep quicker and stay asleep longer. I spent over 30 plus years developing and testing this NeuroCycle system and use it with my patients who struggled with anxiety, depression, brain injury recovery, and so many other things. It's used by over 500,000 people worldwide, including world-class athletes, pastors, and celebrities. To get started today, just look for NeuroCycle in the App Store or Google Play or visit NeuroCycle.app. The link and details will also be in the show notes. Amanda, it's so nice seeing you again. I just spoke to you recently, just before your book was launched, this fantastic book, Not Drinking Tonight. And congratulations, a really very important book. And you give us a whole different angle on the relationship with alcohol. And I really, really love it. And it's very freeing. You move away from the whole disease that you can't, you know, it's like you controlled versus let's work out what's really going on here. So welcome and thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back and be chatting with you. Absolutely. It's always, I always enjoy our talks. I think we really get into some good stuff. Okay. So we can start in so many places, but let's just give a big broad overview of why you wrote the book and who you are. And then we can dive into the details because I have lots of questions. Yeah. So I'm Amanda White. You might know me on Instagram as therapy for women. I am a licensed therapist who specializes in working with individuals with substance use, specifically alcohol use issues. And I'm also someone who's in recovery from a substance use disorder myself. So I have been in recovery for seven and a half years and that really informs, thank you. It informs just my work, how I see the world and Really, why I wrote the book is because there are so many amazing books out there, but not a lot that really talk about from a clinical perspective that are also really approachable to the average reader. Lots of the quitlet genre is what it's called, is our memoirs. And I really wanted to talk about the process of being in therapy and questions people can ask themselves because right now the the model that we talk about addiction is very binary it's very black and white 
And as a therapist in private practice, I really noticed that there was a huge spectrum of people that we were leaving out of the conversation. If anyone can question, you know, if only people who think they have a disease or question and think they are an alcoholic can question their relationship with alcohol, we're leaving out a huge portion of the population. And especially with the pandemic, we, I think lots of people have been drinking more than before. Absolutely. And you key, it, it, I love that. And the key, a key statement you made there is the disease model, which is very iffy and tends oh. to also kind of lock people into thinking they takes a bit of hope out of the whole equation. So could we maybe just start with a little yeah. bit of that and then go into the relationship that it's, it's all about a relationship. I really enjoy, enjoy that approach that you have. Yeah, I think it's hard because I think the disease model was meant to destigmatize. It was yes. meant to say, yes. right, like good intentions, right? Like it was a big shift from the fact that before that people thought that alcoholics or people with addiction issues were morally corrupt, right? Yes. Which was Criminals way worse. And, yeah, yeah. Yes. way worse. The problem though, is that when we look into the neuroscience and I know you and I have talked about it is that it shows up in our brain more like a learning disorder than a disease because the disease says that someone is born this way. And really there's this wide continuum. And I think it, it harms people when we only say you're born this way and you have a problem or you're not born this way and you can drink and do as much as you want, because I really believe given enough trauma, mental health issues, struggles in our life, we can all end up dependent or using a substance in an unhealthy way. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's so important because even the whole concept of addiction and disease and everything has been made such a fixed thing. So binary, as you said, and then people are stuck and I'm always an alcoholic. Meanwhile, you're in recovery you know, it's been not, we're not always anything because moment by moment of every day, our brain is changing. We're constantly yes. changing our relationship with ourselves and the world all the time. And that changeability is what's so hopeful about human nature. And so we, so the, the relationship portion that you bring to the table with alcohol is, I think, vital as opposed to there's a biological underpinning and it's just waiting to jump out and catch you. And, you know, you unfortunately have this alcohol disease and well, you know, that's it versus hey, there's stuff going on in your life and you've used alcohol, you have a relationship to help you cope, not the most advisable coping mechanism in the long right. term, but that kind of thing. So I thought a nice way of doing this is you've got some wonderful stories of you, you bring the therapy room into your book, which yes. is great. And you have two, three parts, why you drink, the tools you need to heal your relationship with alcohol, and then make, how to build a life you don't need to escape from. So I'd love to talk about like stories within each. So mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know, that, that would your life be better without alcohol, the, or that story, or the Brianna? Just maybe just what story would you like to start with? I, I quite enjoyed the Brianna. I'd enjoyed all of them. Yeah, the first one is Andrea. And I think that's a powerful story because a lot of people that come into my office, they might be using or drinking alcohol too much, but they're very, very high functioning. In the story, Andrea is from, you know, she's from Peru, but she is a very high functioning, phenomenal med student. She is the person in her family who everyone kind of relies on. She, you know, runs marathons. She's engaged. She's not someone that anyone would think has a problem with alcohol, but she's using alcohol to relax on the weekends and to fit in. And she's not ever really getting into some of the trauma that happened to her or just the pain of, you know, her mom's diagnosed with cancer and things like that. And, 
you know, I think that it's really important to talk about, I say in the book that alcohol might not bring them into my office, but if we look at anxiety, depression, trauma, pain, all of these things that are going on, when they don't deal with that, what's going on, alcohol becomes the way that they deal with it. And it starts to cause harm in their life. In her case, she starts to have more fights with her fiance and things like that. So I think that's an important thing because people think only someone who has a problem would come to a therapist and then be willing to change their relationship to alcohol. And I really believe a lot of us could could cure it. doesn't mean you have to quit, but a lot of us could benefit from changing or looking at our relationship with alcohol, just like a lot of us could look at our relationship, you know, with sleeping or other habits. Many people lack energy throughout the day, but this lack of energy is a symptom of a bigger problem that is very difficult to gain control over, sleep deprivation. A lack of good quality sleep can affect your mood, hormones, weight gain, and many other factors, including your mental health. If you find yourself staring at your ceiling for hours trying to fall asleep, or if you wake up in the morning feeling like you don't get enough sleep, I invite you to try a simple bedtime routine that helps me sleep like a baby every night. All it takes is a glass of water and two safe and natural magnesium breakthrough capsules 30 minutes before hitting the pillow. The seven essential forms of magnesium in this full-spectrum supplement help you relax, unwind, and turn off your active brain from a long, stressful day so you can sleep peacefully and wake up feeling refreshed, vibrant, and alert. Magnesium Breakthrough has become a household name over the years because of its reputation. Just recently, the company released their fourth upgraded formulation that works even better than before. And for a limited time, BioOptimizers, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, are offering additional bonus gifts for the next 1,000 customers or while supplies last. They are including free bottles of their full line of digestive health products, including their powerful digestive enzyme, Masszymes, their patented probiotic P3OM, and their HCL product to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux. These free products will support your digestive system so that you experience less bloating and gas throughout the day, which means less energy is spent trying to digest foods while you absorb more nutrients from the foods you eat to support optimal brain and body health. Just visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash DrLeaf and enter the code DrLeaf10 to activate this exclusive limited one-time offer. This offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com forward slash DrLeaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. I love that. You see, so you've taken something that's very scary and you've made it something that's, okay, it's about our relationships and, and and our relationship is what we do and what we how we do what we do is based on where we're at in our life because of whatever. So as you say, high functioning seems like the perfect person and how many times do we hear about the perfect person dying by suicide or yeah. as you say, becoming an alcoholic or having a breakdown. We're so surprised. But it's really, you know, you can be up there being amazing, but you're not dealing with some basic needs that are relational. And and so instead of alcohol being a disease that's catching you, it is actually this relational concept. So I love that. So that's really great. So let's talk about how you helped her in yeah. a big picture. And then let's talk about Brianna. Yeah, absolutely. So, and again, I'll kind of emphasize that these aren't real people. These are amalgamations. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just in case anyone's worried. (laughs) Exactly. These are amalgamations of your therapeutic experience, which is what we all have to do when we, which is how we honor patient patient therapist privilege. Yes, yes, exactly. In this case with Andrea, a big thing that we worked on was 
really a big thing was reparenting. So she didn't understand that she was actually overparented. So she never really understood the concept of reparenting. Yes, exactly. And she didn't realize that that was actually important for her to heal because her family didn't let her talk about her emotions. She was very much almost the parent in the relationship because she immigrated from Peru. Her family didn't speak English very well. She was young enough that she did. So she almost became kind of the pillar. Oh, wow. This is often the case with family. Yes. So really a lot of the work we did with her was actually slowing down, practicing saying no. We talked a lot about self-care with her because she really had in her mind that self-care was a checklist that, you know, when I talked to her about self-care, she says that, she does self-care. She runs. She gets up in the morning. She has a routine. She does all of these things. Do, do, do. <laughs> yeah. But what are, you know, where is she resting? Where is she tuning in to, you know, her other needs, her spiritual needs, her, you know, relational needs with her family, other things. So a lot of it was, I talk in my book about a lot of us when we're dealing with stress tend to over-function or under-function. And the goal is to find that middle balance. So a lot of, she over-functioned a lot and we were trying to pull her back into coming out of being so rigid, so over-functioning. That's so good. Okay, fantastic. So it's it's just so easy to understand through a story, isn't it? To understand Mm -hmm. these things through a story. So now let's talk about about Brianna's experience. Yeah. So Brianna is a really great example too, because I talk a lot about mommy wine culture and just how much we're sold, you know, moms, a parent also are really sold this idea that the, the solution to their stress, their solution to the hardship that is being a mom is to drink. And it's not something that actually helps long-term it helps initially, But over time, you know, it negatively impacts your mental health. It creates more anxiety. It fractures your relationship with your kids. So Brianna is a black woman who is a mom. She has two kids. She has a great relationship with her husband, but she often falls into patterns of drinking too much. And Brianna, like a lot of people, when she was pregnant, she didn't drink. She's had periods of time in her life where she didn't drink. So she really doesn't fit the typical, you know, someone who has a problem. But when she does drink, she tends to over drink and she tends to not enjoy herself and kind of gets into fights with people and feels pressured to drink by her friends, many of whom are mothers themselves. So with Brianna, we talked a lot about boundary setting. She really struggled to say no, to set boundaries, to ask for help. She had this idea that because she was a mom, she almost needed to be a martyr. She needed to be able to, you know, she needed to always be sacrificing for her children and she put herself last. And one of the big things that I worked with her on was what, what would her kids think? You know, would she ever want this life for her children? If her her kids came to her and said they were doing this, they were doing it all and never asking for help and that never setting boundaries. How would she feel about that? So we really had to dive into boundary setting and break the idea that boundaries are selfish. That's a woman problem. I think you and I might've discussed this before as well, is that this whole societal thing of what a woman should be. And, yes. you know, that has been so coded into us that through culture and our growing up and environment that 
it, look how that can actually play that. That was really a core part of Brianna's problem. So yeah. it represents, so that's why I really like that story because it just represents how that can be one of the ways that's coping. You say something in the book as well, I don't know which page it's on, but I really wanted to also just as an aside note, not, not even the story part, mm-hmm. but just the fact that how many people will often say they, they'll have a drink to fall asleep. Yes. And, you know, I've, <laughs> I've said to people so many times, well, does it really help you sleep? And then you just explain it so well in your book. Yeah. So essentially, right, we think that alcohol helps us fall asleep. And what alcohol actually does is it just sedates us. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So we think that we're asleep, but when you drink alcohol, any amount that day, your brain actually can't go into REM cycle sleep, which we know is the most important type of sleep. So that's really why if you drink alcohol, you'll wake up often, you know, in the middle of the night or a few hours later, because the sedative effect of the alcohol has worn off. Yes. But you haven't actually really slept. You've just been sedated. (laughs) Thank you. That was so, so well explained. So we've got to go through our cycles of non-REM and REM, non-REM and REM and 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 it's got to, there's like more or less around about nine cycles. And if in each one of those is a different type of regeneration happening. And alcohol messes with that. So do sleeping tablets. And I mean, no, we're not talking about sleeping tablets, but it yeah. has pretty much the same. And it's the right. Word, Does it just sedate word. you too? It just sedates you. Yeah, it yeah. sedates you. So you don't really, the regeneration doesn't happen. And then you, as you say, you, you said it so well, you wake up from the sedation as opposed to things like biphasic sleep where you naturally wake up. Some people naturally mm. wake up and go back to sleep and that kind of thing. It's a very yeah. different type of regeneration that occurs. You know, there's even things like in your REM sleep, which will go with things with alcohol and that kind of thing is certain enzymes are released that help your telomeres, mm. telomerase and that kind of thing. And you you can lose out on that. So your yeah. physical health suffers. And I mean, there's just a whole lot of things. So, so I just important. wanted to throw that in there that not to make people feel guilty at all, right. but knowledge is empowering to realize that it's because it is so often said, and I'm sure you've had so, uh, in your, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you're nodding your head. It said so yeah. often, it helps me sleep. And, you know, coming from, I mentioned just before we started that my husband battled with drinking and it started when his business actually was really successful. We first got mm. married and he started drinking. And in the first 11 years of our marriage, we've been married 35 years, but we could have landed up with a divorce because of the alcohol. And he literally became an alcoholic mm-hmm. and was drinking first thing in the morning. But, you know, mm-hmm. the typical thing, I'm fine. I've got it under control. But it was affecting everything. And one day he wouldn't let me drive. And we had four young kids. And long story short, we got home, but we, we, we were lucky. And I said, yeah. that's it. And I pretty much gave him an ultimatum. This is in one of my books. I wrote the story yeah. that he's going to have to. And the, the point that I'm making here is that he's going to have to make a decision about if he's, because I'm not living this life. I'm not bringing my kids up with this. And he's going to have to change or and love him, whatever. But I, this is not fair on any of us. And it's not healthy, whatever. And he must make a decision. And that, according to the disease model, there's no ways that my husband could have just given up drinking. There's no mm-hmm. ways that he's good because he officially would have had a disease. Mm-hmm. But he gave up drinking overnight. Mm-hmm. And going from drinking everything to drinking nothing except water and coffee and tea, etc., as a replacement, overnight with no side effects except where he had gained weight, from obviously, and you know, lost the weight, weight gain, is un, kind of unheard of, except mm-hmm. there are stories like this, obviously hundreds of thousands of stories. But yeah. I just wanted to emphasize the point. He had to shift his relationship with alcohol. He had to understand. And I remember like he wouldn't go to therapy because, you know, he's a boomer and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was, but he had a wife who's a therapist. So I said, hey, listen, there's a reason why you're drinking. And we had this, you know, mm. we, we, have, we had such a good relationship. So, we, you know, we have that we were able to talk this through. And once he understood why 
he had this relationship, there was this ability to stay off alcohol and move in a different direction. And so that was just, that's like a personal story about the relationship factor, because all the ways he came off and the impact and no fatty liver disease and all that kind of thing was a miracle Mm -hmm. in some people's minds, but it showed he shifted his relationship. And I think that's what you're trying to emphasize a lot when I read through your book and having chatted to you, that seems to be a massive part of how you see people get free. Exactly. And I think you bring up a good point too of, right. It doesn't mean that he moderates his drinking or he's able to, to drink a little bit. Like I think sometimes when people hear talking about it as not a disease, people think it means people can just drink as much as they want. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how you can recover. You can do the work to look at, right? Like the alcohol is serving a purpose in your life. And if you can identify what that purpose is, you can use other coping skills and heal the trauma and heal other things that are keeping you stuck in that unhealthy relationship with drinking. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I love that. So it shifts from a being, you are this, to a doing. And the yeah. doing implies the relational aspect. Okay, so now we've heard three stories. My husband's mm-hmm. and your two patients, or my yeah. amalgamation of patients. Let's hear your story. I know ah, your story, yeah. and I know that you told your story before, but I think it bears repeating again. And obviously, you've got new insights because we keep learning more things. So, yeah. So, I like I said, I've been in recovery, and I've been sober for seven and a half years. And my drinking is interesting because I went through a phase in college where I drank a ton. I moved a lot as a child, so that really impacted my ability to feel secure and to make friends. I went to two different high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools. And That's a lot. It was a lot. And I remember when I first drank, it felt like friends in a bottle. It just felt like this way that I could release my social anxiety and be a more fun, outgoing version of myself. And I instantly felt this connection to it. And throughout college, I drank more. I also had an eating disorder during this time. So I would do things in relation to alcohol, like not eat before I drank or, you know, like be really, I was very concerned about weight gain in college, like the freshman 15, they say, and things like that. So that really kind of negatively impacted, you know, my eating disorder also. And I actually also in college got addicted to Adderall because of how it was a stimulant that killed my appetite. And the second you start getting into not eating and mixing Adderall with alcohol, it's, it's, it's not a good recipe. And it's not an uncommon story that you share. That's why I wanted you to yeah. tell it again. This we're hearing this, sorry to interrupt you, but we're hearing this yeah. so much, this combination. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, yeah, in college campuses, it's so, it's so common. So, you know, somehow I was able to graduate college. I lost a lot of friends in the process because I just wasn't able to moderate my drinking. I tried a lot to cut down. I would do things like 
never taking shots and only drinking beer, only drinking wine. But I never thought I had a problem with alcohol. Like I knew that my eating disorder was an issue. I knew that it probably wasn't a good idea for me to be taking Adderall. But even after I graduated college, I never thought the alcohol was a problem. And I kind of kept drinking, I think, the way that I was drinking in college after I graduated, except that I started drinking alone a bit more. I got very into drinking wine by myself. I was very lonely. So I would kind of get a bottle of wine and like watch The Bachelor. And that would be like, you know, I felt like I was part of something. Yeah. Cause especially, right. Like TV shows like that really have it as it's a community of like people that all drink wine on Monday nights. So, yeah. So it never got to the point really, like I never had a DUI. I never went to jail. I never had a super severe consequence that made it super clear that I was an alcoholic or had a problem, but it was really negatively impacting my life. I was able to just stop doing Adderall when I graduated, but I really felt like with my alcohol, it was like Russian roulette. A lot of times it was fine. A lot of times I just drank that bottle of wine and I passed out. Or a lot of times, you know, I would drink and go out with friends and and nothing bad happened. But when something did happen that was bad, it was really bad. I would leave people at bars. I would pick fights with people. I would say things that I never meant. And I was really lucky to be in therapy at the time with a therapist who I had a lot of shame that I was working through and trauma. And we talked about, you know, one of the best ways to work through shame is to identify your values and start living a life that is in alignment with them. And it was so hard because I would live most of my life, you know, trying to live in with my values. And then I would drink And it was like, I would disappear, you know, that part of you that is able to make decisions and care about things would go offline. And I was stuck with this huge back and forth of, I want to drink, but I can't control always the behavior that I do when I drink. And the last night that I drank, I was a yoga teacher at the time yoga was like the most important thing in my life. And I woke up at 6am to teach yoga. It was like the day after labor day. And I taught yoga completely drunk and I don't remember teaching. And I had a moment of being like, I can't do this anymore. This is so out of alignment with my values. I was also in grad school at the time to become a therapist which I had so much shame about for so long because I would go work, you know, at my internship and help people that were there for substance use issues. Meanwhile, I was struggling with my own and I didn't think that I was. So I had a moment, you know, I say in my, I, this is, I tell my story in the introduction. I, it wasn't even the worst drink or the worst night. Like I had ended up in lower bottoms before, But when that kind of inner voice said, like, you can't keep doing this, I actually listened and I paid attention. And that to me is the difference. I think people can get so stuck on having their last drink be the lowest of the low or making sure they hit rock bottom. And the most important thing is actually you stop you know, rock bottom is when you decide that enough is enough, even if you've been in a worse position before. 
That's very important what you've just said. So rock bottom isn't necessarily the worst drinking incident or the worst DIY or something like that. It's the actual point that you realize, I can't do this anymore. This doesn't align with who I actually am. It's not solving the problem. And that could exactly. happen. And it could happen when you're fairly sober or it could happen when you've only just had one glass of wine or something like that. It's just, it's, it's a point that you reach. And it took a bit of time. I mean, you're describing a, a span of time from kind of from 16 to 24. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. About so and, eight but years. also earlier, because you were talking also about the shifting and the moving and, you know, and it's not that your, that's not your parents' fault. That's their life. Right. That they, but it impacted you. So there was, it's the classic thing, Amanda, that I get asked so often, and I'm sure you've had this in therapy too. And I'm actually writing a book now for mental health for children. But the very thing is that, are we helping our kids process the moves in their life? You're not intentionally trying to mess your child's life up by moving. Yes. It happens to be your best way of providing for your child or whatever. And then there's cases, obviously, of abuse where it's, you know, but I'm talking about on average, the average yeah. parent wants the best for their child. But there's still the best for your child is based on what you're trying to do to be the best for your life, et cetera, et cetera, and what you've come through. But I mean, not, we should be talking about this to our kids from very young. So it kind of starts that drinking to cope as a coping mechanism started with your years ago. And Absolutely. you're not blaming, you just right. needed the ability to process, which goes to the whole thing of a conversation I just had with a psychiatrist, Dr. Paul Conti, and that I have with so many people. And I think you and I have also talked about this before, and then I'll keep quiet and let you pick up with these things. And that's that, why don't we have health insurance for therapy that's totally available, not just limited mm -hmm. to 10 sessions or so many therapists are out of network because it's, yes. you know they get hardly any reimbursement. Yeah. But if you go the medical model and you take all the meds, you can get hundred percent reimbursement. You know it's exactly. such a distortion of values that this you know the therapy, the intervention to help a child and an adult process what is happening, the mental health issues and the mental health problems, both aspects on the whole scale. We need help, you know, Absolutely. and it's, yeah, it's, it's we haven't exactly we talk about the problems and we throw all these you know, these medications and whatever, that's the problem and maybe some CBT if you're lucky. But that's not enough. We have to get to the depth of the issue and learn how to change the relationships with these issues that we have gone through. So I said a lot there. Exactly. What is that stimulated, Amanda? <laughs> what would you like to say? <laughs> yeah, I think I completely agree with you. I think one thing too, that when I was growing up and this really also influenced just my beliefs in reparenting and stuff is emotions weren't something that were really talked about in my house. It was very, I was told often as a child that I was too sensitive, that I needed to learn to have thicker skin. You know, I didn't see my parents healthily process their emotions either. You know, they were kind of, it was something that happened behind closed doors. And I think that all really impacted it too. Cause I learned from a young age, like how you feel is too much. You're too much. And that led me to be like, okay, I'm too much. I, I don't know how to process this. I need to regulate this too much. And that absolutely led to using alcohol to regulate my emotions. And you talk about this in your book, mm -hmm. what you've just said. Okay, yep. excellent. So people can see that because they, you know, you hear it, but it's really good to go and read it as well. And and this is the book, by the way, and you'll put the link in the show notes and it's yeah. obviously available wherever books are sold and we'll put your therapy, your, what's your link to your webpage, I mean, your yeah. Instagram page and all that stuff, we'll put that as well. Okay, so this is fantastic. So now based on that, you then talk about, let's talk now about some sort of solutions, which you do, did start mm -hmm. intimating some of your stories. Maybe do you want to talk about the culture of shame a little bit more, our bodies, ourselves, or have you covered that? Would you like to cover that a little bit more? 
So the, our bodies, ourselves and alcohol chapter is really about kind of the, the science that we were talking about is how alcohol impacts our brains and our bodies and things Lovely. like that. Okay, so people can see a bit more detail there about that. Okay. So the tools you need to heal relationship with alcohol, you talk about reparenting, which you've mentioned the voice in your head, emotions, one-on-one self-care and boundaries. So people would have heard all those things. So what are you bringing to the table around alcohol? And in this, can you also talk about the fact that things that we've talked about before that people may have listened to the other podcasts we did and the, and the live, which they can still go and re-listen to as well. You talk about people have options. They can either completely stop like my husband did yep. and you did, or it may be you can drink less or something like that, whatever. So there's different options. There isn't a yeah. one size fits all in the healing process. So tools exactly. you need to heal your relationship. Okay. Yeah. And really my goal of the book was I wanted to be able to create a book that could meet anywhere where they are on the spectrum, whether they've never questioned their relationship with alcohol before, or they are in recovery and they haven't drank before and really create that spectrum because right. Like we know as therapists, the most important knowledge we can learn is knowledge we learn about ourselves that we figure out, we discover, not someone just telling us what to do. So in my book, I have lots of questions and I have an assessment so that you can discover for yourself what kind like what would be best that would help you in kind of changing your relationship with alcohol. I talk about different risk factors that might make it more difficult for you to moderate compared to someone else. Like if you have trauma, if you have mental health issues, you know, if there are certain biopsychosocial factors in your life that make it more difficult, it is going to be harder. You know, even just the amount you've drank, how long you've drank impacts your brain. It impacts, you know, how learned that behavior is and will impact whether you will likely be able to moderate or not. And I think what's hard about alcohol in general too, is that it is an addictive substance. So when you have one, it shuts off that rational part of your brain that is responsible for living, you know, helping you think about your choices and your future and all of those things. So it's a bit of a, a double whammy, but I have a metaphor in my book of an iceberg where I really talk about if we want to heal the top of the iceberg, which is the invisible behavior, essentially, or sorry, the visible behavior that we can see, whether that's alcohol, you know, another type of addiction, we have to heal what's under the surface, which is often trauma, mental health issues, you know, shame, all of the anxiety, all of these different things. So that's why the middle part of my book talks about those four tools of reparenting, which are mindfulness, like emotional regulation, boundaries, and self-care. I'm sure it will come as no surprise to you that to think well and manage your mental health, your brain needs proper nourishment. But many of us don't have the time to take multiple different products all day long for better brain and body health, more energy, and optimized immune systems. This is why I love Athletic Greens. It has just what I need in one drink. Best of all, it doesn't taste like it's super healthy, honestly. Athletic Greens has a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning when I wake up. Even my husband, who can't stand things that taste too green, loves his Athletic Greens in the morning. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your brain, your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. 
to make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash leaf to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. Okay, perfect. That's fantastic. So let's talk about boundaries people talk about a lot. The yeah. voice in your head, it, all these things people talk about, but you have a little bit of a different angle on each of those. Could you just give a little bit of explanation around the voice in your head, emotions, one-on-one, self-care boundaries? So just, you know, maybe a statement around yeah. each, how you, how you approach it in your book. Yeah, absolutely. So with like mindfulness, for example, I think one thing that's really helpful and important is a lot of times I think when people think about mindfulness, they have a goal to stop their thoughts or stop all anxiety. And the most important thing we can actually do a lot of times is accept our automatic thoughts. We can't control our automatic thoughts. We're all going to have them. But the more you fight with those automatic thoughts, the stronger sometimes they will be. It's like a Chinese finger trap. So I talk a lot about you know a mindfulness practice that it doesn't need to look like meditation or sitting down. It can be something like going for a walk or, you know, even taking a shower, but just paying attention and teaching your brain how to notice what's going on in the present moment. So you're less likely to get stuck in your head and experience that like cognitive fusion where your thoughts kind of get fused or stuck and you can't separate yourself from your thoughts. But your thoughts so are a, a product of, of self and self is mind. And so you and this and you can actually edit those thoughts. So you do so your mindfulness. I love that because that's the approach that I, I believe is very valid and scientific. And I love that. Self-care people, there's so much about self-care. I, I forgot the let's skip the emotional, but talk about self-care first, then we can yeah. throw in a bit about the emotions. So I talk about self-care as there's a couple different types. I talk about like there's emotional self-care, mental, financial, environmental all of these different types. And I think people can get very stuck in the idea that self-care costs a lot of money or is just kind of like bubble baths and getting your nails done or treating yourself. And that's really not what self-care is. To me, self-care is taking care of your future self. And that doesn't always mean doing more because sometimes sleeping or resting or taking the day off is what you need. So to me... I think what makes what I talk about with self-care very unique is I talk a lot about the balance of being compassionate towards yourself and also holding yourself accountable. And to me, those are the two things you balance in a self-care practice. That's great. I love that. Yeah. So I like the ba- keeping the balance between the two. So the accountability part is... Yeah, it's... Absolutely. It's saying to yourself that you, this isn't in alignment with my values. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's like, I think a really good example of this balance is it's like being a loving parent to yourself. It's like making yourself go to the dentist when you hate going to the dentist, because you know, your future self, your future teeth (laughs) will be happy that you did it. Exactly. So sometimes it does look like doing hard things in the moment. I think a lot of times it does even processing your emotions, taking a break, saying, no, it's doing those hard things in the moment so that you're taking care of, you know, your future self. And if you if you slip up, if you mess up, it's being compassionate to yourself and also coming up with a plan of how you're going to make a change 
in the future because trying to shame yourself into changing does not work. So good. I love that. And that goes to the boundaries, which is, a, it is it's, I don't like to say it's overused, but it is just all over the place. And, it is. and it's good. And I'm glad. I mean, it's great people are talking about boundaries. It's like it's great people are talking about being trauma informed. We need these conversations. But then there's also balance because I think boundaries can be, you know, all over the place too. So you have a nice sort of balanced approach to that yeah. too. Yeah. I think one thing that is hard is I agree with you. I think boundaries have been misconstrued as a way to change other people or as a way to punish people. Very good example. Get what you want. And that's not what boundaries are an internal limit that you set. It's based on your life. I, I talk about the example of like to physicalize it. Boundaries are like having a fence around your house. That fence doesn't punish other people walking by. It protects your grass and boundaries. Also, you know, I think I was talking about this on Instagram today. Boundaries, you know, sometimes we do need more boundary negotiation. Sometimes things aren't just our way. We can't just set a super firm boundary, like boundaries that are healthy are meant to be flexible and changed and your life changes and then a boundary changes. So I really push back on the idea that I think boundaries have become almost too rigid. And I think some of us need to soften them and become more flexible. I'm so glad we had this discussion because I agree with you. It's become almost overused. And as an excuse, someone said the other day on a comment, I think it was on one of the posts I put up talking in this vein that you and I have just Mm -hmm. spoken. And they said it's true because boundaries have become like a way of punishing other people. And you also mentioned that. And it's not punishing other people. It's not. And it's not. It's not about you. It's about you in the world. So sometimes you may say, okay, I need to do this now because I, I can't do that. So and you so you're putting up a boundary, but that is impacting that other person. So it doesn't mean you have to shift, but you may have to negotiate. And I think the boundary language has become, it's a non-negotiable. I've put up exactly. my boundary. This is what I need. But the fact is that you are in the world and you have yeah. relationships. So you may need to be a little bit, have a bit of a possibilities mindset or a bit of a negotiable mindset within the boundary setting. Because I think otherwise you know, it can make things worse. So. Yeah. And we also like, I mean, we also, like you said, we live with people, we, our boundaries impact people. So I also push back on this idea that like, you should never need to explain your boundaries. Cause I mean, sometimes people need to understand why you're setting this boundary. If I come home and I tell my husband, I'm not talking about this or I won't do that. He's going to be really confused. Exactly. He can't read my mind. So explaining and helping someone understand your boundaries and understanding you is a really effective and important way to get your boundaries and their boundaries met. I love that. I love that. As you say, just you can't just, if you've had had an open, if you've talked, used to talking about issues at night and suddenly you say, I can't versus, okay, tonight I'm so tired. I just, yes. I really want to talk about these things, but can we talk about them? Let's get up half an hour earlier in the morning and talk about them. At the moment now, I need to go watch Jane the Virgin in the yep. bath for two hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and no business, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the sort of healthy. And so now, bef- thank you. So before we yeah. dive into the, the next part, I just quickly want to come back to the word addiction. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the approach that you have as well. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Sally Sathel, who's an expert when it comes to addiction, and she's, she's incredible as well. And I, uh, this, the word addiction has been so disease-oriented with our bio-bio-bio model, whereas addiction is actually another signal that we've got something going on. So can we just for a moment, just, you know, just let's talk a little bit about the word addiction, because you've said that word a few times, and let's maybe yeah. define and talk around that a little. Can you give your perception? 
Yeah. So when I think of the word addiction, I really think of anything that we use to deal with what's going on under the surface. It is like you said, it's a biopsychosocial, it's a complicated thing. It involves some of us are more predisposed just because of the way our brains of why are wired because of genetics, but also our social environment, how we were raised, how we deal with life. And to me, something shifts from being just something that we're using to kind of an addiction is when we have that emotional bond with it, where we go from kind of like, this is something I use to it being like, this is the solution to all of my problems. And that to me is where that flip switches and it becomes more of an addiction. It becomes more of an issue. So the emotional bond makes you think that this is a black and white situation. This is the solution because it's helping me hide. Unconsciously, we are saying things like, okay, I like this because I don't have to face it. We're not saying it consciously, but that's what's driving the conscious. This is it. And yes. that's where the change, and you've got it, and that's what you said earlier on. It was when you made that decision to yeah. change that then yeah. you could control the. So the addiction is not the controlling factor, right? Right. It's the exactly. it's the end product. the The controlling factor is why you have that relationship in the first place with whatever that substance is, and we have to find that versus yeah. the the bio model is saying the addiction is the factor. Yeah, it's the controlling factor. It's not. That's just the end result of. Exactly. Exactly. And I think too, I talk a lot about how addictions are really disorders of control. And while that might seem crazy to look at someone no, who right, has a substance use issue, you might think on the outside that their life looks very out of control. But what they are really well able to control with that substance is their emotions. They have an easy button almost that they can push that shuts down worrying about this, thinking about that, being, you know, scared or frustrated or dealing with any of their trauma. They are very, when we're, when we get to that point, we're very into controlling how we feel internally, even if our life is out of control. You probably know that the human body is mostly water. What you probably don't know is that everything else in your body is 50% amino acids. These building blocks of life are essential for mental and physical health and fitness. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. This is why Keon Aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day for energy, muscle and recovery. After recent surgery I unexpectedly had to have, I have been taking Keon Aminos every day to help with muscle maintenance since I haven't been able to work out and it's really made a difference. I feel so strong and energetic. Keon Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers or junk, undergoes rigorous quality testing and tastes amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle and enhance athletic recovery, you need to get Keon Aminos. You can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkeon.com forward slash drleaf. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N dot com slash Dr. Leaf to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's really great. So it's almost like giving ourselves permission to have a healthy distraction for a few moments. So because there's a huge emphasis as well in, in the current therapeutic move and social media to get all your feelings out. And it's really bad in the education systems where it's all about feel, feel, feel. But you can't, I've shown with my research, as have many others, that awareness alone actually creates more of a problem. Mm -hmm. So when you just tell a child, for example, to feel, 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 but you don't actually 
shape the feeling, attach it to, to the thought, attach it to the details. It's only one part. You think, feel, and right. choose. And that's got, you know, a lot of, it's only one part of your memory experience. Yeah. There's all the other elements. It actually makes things worse. So we have to mm-hmm. attach it to some, to the thought and we have to manage the process. So I don't know if you also feel that that's possibly a, you know, feeling is good, but there's also a bit of an overemphasis on, you've got to feel it to heal it is only yeah. the beginning. Absolutely. And once you felt, felt it, the feeling alone it will not heal. It's more than yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, I talk a lot in my book about with emotions, right? Like being able to label your emotions, like, right, emotional granularity, the idea that if we can properly label our emotions, we know that that helps us be able to understand that emotion and then take action. But sometimes, like you said, in a classroom or something like that, I think it's really important that distraction can be a very helpful tool. If we're in a meeting doing a presentation, we can't always pause and start and like crying. Feel our feelings. Yeah. 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 If we're going to have to get through that meeting and then put it on pause and deal with it later. And, exactly. and also not just, and, and the dealing with it's not just labeling as you, it's mm-hmm. a huge part of it. It's then, okay, now what am I going to do with yep, this? How am I going to get the antidote, the whatever, the reconceptualization and everything, which is, which is so important. Now, before we get also the next thing, I don't know if you saw this, but this morning there was, and I just want to pull it up. I was so happy, and I think you'll be very happy too. The WHO and the United Nations joined calls to transcend the medical model. And mm. this is amazing because Dana's Pierce, he is from the United Nations. He put out that paper a few years ago. And, and now the, I mean, the WHO, now the United Nations has also, uh, the World Health Organization has backed this up. In other words, we have these two joint organizations calling for mm. looking at mental health differently, going beyond the medical model and considering all the social, economic, mm. uh, victimization, poverty, exclusion, isolation, unemployment, all these factors that you and I and everyone who is anyone, humans, I mean, we instinctively yeah. know those are our environment and we've got to pay attention. But to see it now on this scale where there's an awareness, I was really excited because it kind of, it's going to shift what has been makes it more legitimate for 40 years. Yeah, it, it is. It's going to shift a lot of the narrative to helping to address the kinds of work that you and I do. So I just, I don't know if you're aware of that. Well, so that's a little bit of good yeah, news to share. Yeah, that's <laughs> exciting. Well, I think too, it's so interesting to look at. I unpack some of the history of the medical model in my book yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. I saw that. And that's why I brought this up. Yeah, it's because, I mean, a lot of, I mean, if you look at a the addiction field of medicine is a fairly new field. And it came out of essentially all these rehabs leading with AA because before AA, there was no treatment. It was just people in asylums, but we've almost gotten stuck in this idea that it's a disease from like from AA. And that isn't like you said, like what the research kind of shows us. And it's because, because it was treated before addiction, you know, kind of was a disease. It's, it's been influenced backwards, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. Yeah. So as you said, we've gone from asylums to disease, which did, it was an improvement. It was, because we yeah, it was an improvement, but, but yeah. now that's got extreme and it's got stuck there. And we've got to go to the, we've got to go to the person's total context and the, more of the relationship and the humanity aspect and you know, going beyond. And obviously there's an impact. I mean, alcoholism has an impact. Fatty liver disease needs to be treated medically. And, you know, whatever else arises from that, that has to be treated medically. But it doesn't mean that it's a, it's that you're stuck inside of it. So, and there's, as we say, we said it in the Instagram, there's so many good things that have come out of AA. And at least that was a better shift than the asylums. But there's also that whole once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, which just goes totally against the grain of who we are as humans. 
Yeah. And then, yes, there's a vulnerability there because our stories yeah. make us vulnerable and they never go away. What's happened to you and the reason why you were using alcohol in the first place, it's all part of your story, which you told your story. Yeah. It's there and you recognize your vulnerability. So you've made choices to accommodate that vulnerability. So can we not really end the discussion we have to for time, but because this is an ongoing discussion, but can yeah. we shift then into how did you and then mm-hmm. you know how you've applied this change your relationship with alcohol? What are the sort of tools? And I know you've mentioned some of them, but what are the yeah. hands-on relational issues that you've changed? Yeah. The big thing for me was I had to work through shame. I had so much shame that was keeping me really, really stuck. I had trauma, like I talked about, and I had to work through, you know, just everything that happened relationally. I had to learn how to process my feelings. I was a really big people pleaser and I had to actually learn how to be honest and say no when I wanted to say no. And and all of this took action. I think that's the really important thing too, is it's not just learning that you're a people pleaser. It's practicing saying no. It's practicing having those hard conversations And it's really, to me, I mean, that values work was just so important. It was looking at what kind of life do I want? And I think this is something that really, if it's left out of healing, it, it really keeps people stuck. I had to have some type of hope that I could change. And I was able to discover that hope through thinking about what type of life I wanted to live, taking small action steps towards them, finding other people that I looked up to who also didn't drink and who had a life that I was inspired by. I used to Google sober celebrities and like, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. It was motivational. Yeah. Yeah. I needed something. And and that is one thing that I think is so wonderful about social media is there are lots of people you can look up to and see and start taking steps that they did to kind of change their life. I think, you know, the one thing I leave people with is just taking small action over time really, really adds up. And I think we can really get caught in setting a huge lofty goal and then we don't meet it and we feel shame and we beat ourselves up. But if you take small incremental steps forward, it will get you far. It just, you know, you got to be patient. (laughs) I love that. And I'm so glad that we're in an era of where there's access to tools like your book and social media and podcasts and You know, it's such a different world to 30, 40 years ago where to get this kind of help that you can just go and listen to a podcast and buy a book. If you can't afford a therapist, at least you've got access to more knowledge, more understanding to take that shame spiral away, which the shame spiral blocks you completely. Amanda, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. And I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you for writing this book. And where can people get hold of you? I know you said it, say it again, and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at therapy for women. I'm also on TikTok. If anyone's over there, my book, not drinking tonight, a guide to creating a sober life you love is available everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, you know, local bookstores, Barnes and Noble, all that. And if you're interested in a therapist, I have a therapy practice called therapy for women center. And we have therapists in the Philadelphia area and across the country. We have Therapist licensed in 17 different states. That's fantastic. And they specialize in helping people with dealing with drinking, changing their relationship to alcohol as opposed to drinking problems. That's a much nicer way of saying it. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today. And I look forward to talking again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. 
If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.